Hey everyone, welcome to Cedar and Cyber's podcast. Welcome back if you have been listening or if you're returning. <clears throat> and I know, I know you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. I know it. I have not posted an episode in two months, which is so crazy. Last episode that I uploaded was February 15th and it is now late April that I'm recording this episode. And there's a reason for that. It's honestly just been, life has been so incredibly busy. It's been crazy. It's been two months. And I did just want to mention that I have so many ideas, so many things I want to do with this podcast, but honestly, it's just very hard to find the time and to find the energy to be able to record, to edit, and then also, I mean, before recording, to do adequate research to set together and write an episode that will be good, that will be encouraging, and will be of substance, and to to really do them well. I don't like to put in half effort into episodes because anything I upload, I want to be quality, I want it to be lasting, I want it to be something you can return to or listen to again. And if that means that the podcasts come out less often, I hope that is okay. I definitely don't want two full months to pass before I'm uploading something else, but That's kind of just how things have been recently. Thank you for sticking around if you are still here. Thank you for clicking on this episode, even though I've been absent for so long. But I wanted to upload an episode on a Holy Week meditation. And listen, again, I also know it is definitely past Holy Week. Easter has passed. It has been quite a while since Easter. Right now that I'm recording, it's the 21st, and I think April was the 6th or something like that, or the weekend of the 6th. So we are definitely outside the realm of Easter. But but that doesn't mean that it is not still relevant because whatever was true on Easter day is still true today, will be true next April and the April after that and for years to come and forever and eternity. And it was true just as much last Easter, the Easter before and the 2000 Easter's before that, the 2000 years before that. So I'm hoping that even though this is a very belated Holy Week meditation, that is something that will still be edifying and helpful and maybe something you can return to or maybe something you can listen to next Easter or when Holy Week starts next year. So it can be something to kind of help you on your Holy Week meditation. Honestly, with that said, this is the first year in my life that I have been more intentional with doing a Holy Week devotional and meditation and actually setting aside time to look through and review the different days of Holy Week and look at the different significance that the days hold. Because for me, I grew up uh, in a less formal, like a more casual Christian tradition, non-denominational background where I didn't really celebrate all of Holy Week. Like we celebrated Good Friday and Easter Sunday every single year and we definitely did things leading up to it. Like we had a um we had a like Easter Advent type thing that we went through and had different objects that related to Easter, of course, with you know the cross and different items that just related to Holy Week. But I've never really done a look through of all of the different days. And so I kind of want to just give you a little bit of background with Holy Week and, and what that means. It it leads up to and it includes Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. It's the culmination of everything that is Christianity, everything that has to do with the gospel. It's it's the most sacred week for Christians, I think, besides Christmas. It's it's the foundation of our faith. And so the week before Easter, that that Sunday before, we call it Palm Sunday, and that's where we celebrate. And we remember when Jesus entered 
the city and people praised him. They set down palm leaves for him. They accepted him. They were excited for him to come. And we remember that every single Palm Sunday. The church service that I attended this year was they the, the church literally had palm leaves for us to have and to use during worship. And then moving forward, we move into Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, and Holy Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. So that is kind of a really broad overview of what Holy Week looks like. I'm not going to get too deep into each of those days and each of their significance, but that's kind of just a bird's eye view of what Holy Week is. For this episode, I wanted to kind of explore the concept of death. And I know that sounds really dark, but it's it's something that our culture needs to face. I think that there's there's so much in our culture today that kind of runs away from death or turns away from death. There is, I think, from the cultural perspective, there's little beauty in aging. We have a lot of different methods and things that we try to pursue that will keep us from aging like we have all these skincare routines at least for women if you're into that we have these skincare routines that are meant to keep us from looking like we're aging we have cosmetics and we have we just have a real challenge i think looking at death and what i don't mean by looking at death is meaning like looking at gore or violence or anything like that but we turn away from death because and we turn away from aging because they're scary they're unknown you know we don't know what things are going to look like and the truth is with christ we don't have to fear any of that we don't have to have any kind of reservations about what's going to happen to us or anything like that just because even though we don't know how everything's going to play out <laughs> detail by detail we still know where we're going who we're going to and we still know who we belong to and so when I was thinking about death this particular holy week and I was reading over the passages that precede Jesus's death and his crucifixion his burial and his resurrection I kind of see that the more you study the gospels you the more you see this foreshadowing that happens in the gospels and that the authors allude to like I mentioned, this year was the first time I had really set aside time in my life to intentionally meditate on Holy Week and go through a devotional. So I read through John Piper's Love to the Uttermost, which is a free PDF online. It's just a devotional every single day in a passage for every day of Holy Week where you you go through and you read the passage and you kind of read some of Piper's synthesis of it and you kind of take your time to meditate on it for yourself. And I will make sure to link that in the notes in case you want to access it or have it. It's even something, you know, you don't even have to do it during Holy Week, but it's just, you know, a seven-day span of devotionals and things like that that can help you really kind of reconnect in a fresh way to this story, this, which is the culmination of the gospel, which is, it's all about Jesus. And so what really caught my eye when I was going through this devotional was something I want to bring your attention to is that Jesus was resolute and he was unwavering in his resolve to die. He had literally resolved and chosen to die. So I just want to read you a couple verses from Luke 9. We're starting in verse 51 so I can kind of get your heart like attuned to and around these verses that perhaps you have read through and never really paid much attention to. So it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. 
And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. We could have we could have a complete conversation about James and John. We can talk about their desire to have fire come from heaven and consume those people. We are going to save that for another day. Maybe I can do another episode on like just the craziness of, of a statement like that. But what I want to focus on is how these passages, this passage seems like it kind of just gives you some details or like what was happening, giving you a little bit of the setting or, hey, they traveled from here to there. But there's actually so, so much more to it because in verse 20, 55, 51, it talks about Jesus setting his face to go to J- Jerusalem. And honestly, that may not sound like a lot to you. It may just sound like, you know, this is the next city he was going to. But he actually knew at this point that if he was turning his face to Jerusalem, he was turning his face to death. He knew he was going to die there and he knew he was going to face an awful death. But he resolved to die. Jesus chose to die. And when you resolve to do something, you choose it firmly and you don't waver from it. You know, if you are resolute in choosing to do something, that means you're going to complete that action. You're going to do it when you when you said you would, you're going to do it how you said you would, and you're going to keep your word. So Jesus turned his face toward death and not just any death, but one that he knew was going to be incredibly brutal, incredibly painful, and he knew he was going to have to suffer. And I mean, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is what would even compel someone to do that, to behave the way that Jesus did, to think the way that he did, to make the choices that Jesus did? It honestly kind of seems like he just, he did these crazy things. He kept talking out about and speaking out about things that people were very upset with him for doing, even when it kind of seemed like it was probably in his best interest to stop doing those things or to stop saying those things. I kind of want to give you an example from John 10, which is another passage where Jesus is also rejected. We are jumping in in verse 31. So we are kind of jumping in into the middle of something that's happening. So I would encourage you if you can read all of John 10 to go ahead and do so. But Jesus has just said, I and the Father are one. He is making this huge clip about himself. And we're picking up in verse 31 of John 10, where it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father for which of them you are going to stone me. Verse 33 goes on to say, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So here's another example where Jesus is saying things that quite honestly, you're like, Jesus, stop talking. You're totally going to get yourself killed. Like these people hate you. You need to be careful. And that's that's the visceral reaction that I have when I read passages like these, where Jesus is making these hefty claims about himself there that are just just wild to think that if if you have, you've been part of this tradition, this, this heritage where you are waiting for a Messiah to come. And this guy shows up and he's saying, I'm the I'm in the Father. I am from the Father. I have the ability to do good works like the Father. And he's challenging the Pharisees. He's constantly rebuking people's hard hearts, their lack of faith. He is also challenging the cultural standards at the time. He is completely upending society as it is. And he's calling himself God, essentially. And, and you're just kind of like, 
you need to stop talking, Jesus. Like, you have to stop. People are going to kill you. And, you know, we already know the end of the story. We know that he does end up being crucified. And, of course, he ends up being resurrected by the Father. But, you know, we're kind of coming back to the original question of what would compel someone to speak like this? What would compel someone to make these choices to resolve to die, to choose to travel to a city where he knew he was going to be killed? For example, let's say you live near Chicago. And you knew if I go on, you know, Friday, April 28th, I know I'm going to get shot and killed. And you turn your face towards the city on that night and you decide to still go there and you travel there and you walk there. Jesus had to walk with his disciples. That was their mode of traveling. And you specifically choose to go to a place you know you're going to suffer. That is something that nobody would ever do. That is so backwards that's so upside down what i'm trying to get you to see is like we we know this story so well we know what happened to jesus so we read it every single year without any kind of thought whatsoever to the depth and the profound nature of what jesus chose to do he chose to go to jerusalem where he knew his life was going to end he knew his ministry was going to end he knew he was going to you know he was going to lose his life and what would compel someone to do that? I think the first big thing is love. The first thing truly is love. It's a pure love that places other people before themselves. Jesus embodied this. Jesus is love. He showed us what love actually looks like, what it looks like to to genuinely place other people before yourself. We all know the passage John 3:16, you know, especially if you grew up in the church. And then honestly, even if you didn't, this is probably a passage you know very well. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son who shall ever believe in him shall have eternal life. And also Romans 5, 8, a beautiful passage that God showed his love for us while we were still sinners, while we were still in the depths of the throes of our sin and our immorality and our selfishness and our choices. Jesus still chose to come and to serve and to love us. And that also brings us to the fact that what compelled Jesus also was a dedication to serve and to be a servant, a complete abandon of the self and what the self wanted. I am sure that Jesus was nervous and scared and terrified of what it was going to look like for him, the human part of him being 100% man and of course 100% God, but the human part of him feeling like, you know, I don't want to do this. This is terrifying. This is, I know this is going to be incredibly painful and not only just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally and in every single way that something can be excruciating. Crucifixion was truly excruciating. And so, to be willing to still do that shows a complete abandon of the self, the the complete dedication to serving other people, even at the cost of yourself, at, at the expense of yourself, and in fact, at the expense of your own life. Jesus himself said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This just sums it up more beautifully than I could say. I couldn't even say it better. Jesus himself said, I came not so that I could have all this you know, personal fame and glory, but to serve you, to love you, to save you, to rescue you from your sin, to rescue you from your immorality and this place that I know you could never even attempt to try to climb out of on your own. What we also see from Jesus here is a profound and incredible example of what it is like to be humble. And that's the third thing that I think would compel someone to act this way and to make the kind of choices that Jesus made is humility. 
to have complete unwavering loyalty and submission to his father to move forward in doing something and obeying his word and obeying his will, even when he knew it was going to cost him his life. Philippians 2.8, Apostle Paul says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We often see here like obedience follows right after humility. While we're on that topic, I just want to remind you of his prayer in the Garden of Yosemite before he was going to be arrested and crucified. He was in excruciating pain and he paid, he prayed, he went away from his disciples. He asked them to keep watch and he said, sit here while I go over and pray. And he, he prayed, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I'm sorry, he didn't pray that. He said that to his disciples. And then he went a little farther. He went away from them. He fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see here, he returns back to the disciples. He sees that they have fell, fallen asleep. He, I imagine he was incredibly in so much pain at that point. Like, I don't even know if he was sad or frustrated or mad or, or what emotion that he might have been feeling at that point. But then he prays a second time. And he says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So obedience to the point of death, he said, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. Complete humility, complete obedience is what compelled Jesus to move forward in knowing that he was about to suffer and that he was about to be led to the cross. My question for us is how often have we been able to say that we've been willing to place ourselves and what we want and our desires, what we value, our reputation, what we care about? How often have we been willing to place that at the expense of what someone else would benefit from, of what would serve somebody else, of humbling ourselves to the point of submitting to Christ and to placing others above ourselves and to truly love other people? How often have we been willing to do that so that we can serve love and and obey? I can't say that I do this, <laughs> do this very often. And I've been a Christian for my whole life at this point, but I still struggle a lot with selfishness. And I'm betting that that's true for you as well. You know, what then would compel us as Christ followers who are meant to follow him in this example, we're meant to be his copiers, his, we're supposed to be his imitators. We have to put our desires, our, our reputation, and everything we value and hold dear to imitate, to copy his life. And this is not me trying to tell you, like, you should go compromise your safety, your physical safety or the physical safety or anything of your family, but what we think of as safe. Like, for example... For some people, they're called into overseas missions. And it's hard to say that that is safe. And when I use the word safe, it's it's incredible risk. You're moving across the world. You're changing your finances. You're uprooting your family. You're putting yourself in a new community. And maybe it might be living in an area that is you know, maybe less safe than the area that live now. And what I mean by this concept of safe is giving up our comforts. How often do we put ourselves on the line or the things that we care about on the line in order to obey, in order to love Christ, in order to serve him? And by loving Christ and serving him, we serve and love other people. This is not something that I do very often either. And so this is this is what I want is I want this passage to convict us to how resolute Jesus was and being willing to face his death so so much so that we would also be able and willing to do so by the by the grace of God and by the strength of Christ. We can do anything through Christ who gives us strength and we can pray for strength for to be able to do this as well. 
Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And by saying this, Paul did not mean that you should like physically kill yourself or harm yourself. What he was saying is, you put to death your flesh and the things of this body, the desire, the worldly pleasures that people will seek over, which again, doesn't mean that you can, you have to deprive yourself of anything good ever. What Paul is saying here is you give up this life where you just pursue your whims, your fancy, whatever comes to your mind, where you are complete in complete submission to your flesh and the things that you want to do, your emotional impulses, your mental impulses. And that can look like all kinds of things that could look like snapping at people when you're frustrated with them and being unwilling to take the time to be patient with them. That could look like seeking after physical pleasures that are unhealthy for you, whether that's, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, whether it's a physical substance or something like that. But metaphorically, we have to put to death our flesh. We have to be completely transformed in our mind to the way that, to the extent that what is of the flesh is now abhorrent to us because what God wants, we want, and we are conformed more to to his likeness. And so, we also have this repulsion for sin and immorality. And in a literal sense, we have to accept that this life is not all there is. We have limited time on this earth. This is not our home. We are technically, we're you know, we're referred to as foreigners here in a foreign land. This is not where we ultimately belong. And knowing that compels us to live for something greater and abstain from worldly pleasures because this is not all that we live for. We don't just eat, drink, and be merry as the phrase goes. And I'll make sure to include the verses that that's from so that you can read the full context of where those verses are from and what they mean. But we don't just eat, drink, and be merry. We decide to turn our face to death. We put to death what we want. We put to death our values, our desires, our reputation, our glory, our fame, the things we want from this life in order to serve Christ. And that may mean so many different things. That may mean like learning to be content in a season of life that you're unhappy with. Maybe that means working through a really hard marriage. Maybe that means continuing to strive and to work hard at a job or a career that we hate or a situation that we're really frustrated with. Or that also means we continue to love that person who is incredibly difficult to love. We continue to forgive that person who hurts us. We continue, we continue, we continue in these good works. We do not grow weary in doing the right things because both metaphorically and literally, we accept that we need to put to death what we want in order so that we can spiritually live, to live as Christ and to die as gain. We turn our face towards the heavenly crowns, the heavenly rewards that we are storing up as treasure for ourselves to experience. And that means that we accept the fact that in this life, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be suffering. Not everything is going to be comfortable or feel safe or feel like, feel good, honestly. Like we, and we don't need to chase after that. We don't have to chase after feeling good because we've already accepted the fact that there are earthly treasures that we're putting away, we're storing away through these good deeds and good deeds and persevering through the pain. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This has been one of my favorite verses for such a long time. And one of the reasons why is because it is almost inconceivable to me the fact that I could compare my greatest pain and that is still not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us and to us. I just want you to think about that for a second. Like, 
put in into perspective probably the worst pain you've ever felt. If if you can imagine this, if you can put yourself back in the headspace of maybe one of the hardest things that you've ever had to go through in your life, and trust me, there's still going to be future ones. But if you can think of a of a time of extreme hardship or emotional or physical or mental suffering, you cannot even. That's like a grain of salt in an ocean. <laughs> compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in heaven. That's not even worth comparing to the ocean that is going to be experiencing God's presence in heaven, worshiping him with the saints for the rest of eternity. So we, again, this is why we're willing to, to be compelled by the love and the service and the obedience of Christ. So what would compel you to be able to do this, to turn your face also to the death that is imminent, metaphorically and literally, to be working on loving people, to be working on serving people, to be working also on what it looks like to be obedient to Christ in your life. And that's going to look different for everyone, but I really encourage you to be reflecting on that if you can, to maybe sit down and take some time to go through the passages that I have listed in the notes and have mentioned on this episode. I want to close out with this really beautiful exposition that will kind of summarize all the different things that I've been talking about through this episode by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. He writes, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. With his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death of in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. I'm just going to leave you with that. I'm going to close with that. Next episode, I'll be back hopefully talking about my thoughts on the Asbury, Asbury Revival, which I also know is very belated, but I wanted to allow some time to pass. So make sure that you're tuning back in for that episode because I have a lot packed in for that episode. I hope you've enjoyed this one and I'll catch you on the next one.